I'm going to give a testimony and an update on the church here because we are a church that is founded by all SUM alumni, praise God, and current SUM students. You know that the Riesco brothers, uh, Juan and Jose, and their wives, uh, Yolise and, and Christina, uh, Jose and Christina, SUM graduates, uh, Juan and Yolise, current students, and then we have Chris and Vanessa Vitali, amen? And they, uh, they're OGs. They are OGs. They go way back with us. And so they, were, they graduated around the same time that I did. They moved to Florida. But when they heard that we were planning a church here, they made it happen. And Chris got here like a week after us, praise God, and moved all his stuff, moved his family to be a part of it. And then not only that, we have some other uh, students you probably haven't met. They live about three hours from us in, in West Texas. And they were pastors of a, of a Methodist church. These were students of mine back in uh, 2017. And I, 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 you know, I had a lot of students and I, I remembered them, but it's, it's not like we really were like, you know, tracking over the years. But when they heard we were planting a church and it kind of lined up with, you know, things going on in their church, you know, it was time for a move. So they're moving now by faith to be a part of our plant, and they're super humble. They're, they're doing 101 with Susie and I, so they're starting from the ground up to be a part of the vision and what God is doing, and it's amazing. We got our first 201-er, praise Jesus, brother named Austin. I hope he comes up here in um, July for Jesus is God conference. That's going to be amazing. Uh, he really wants to come up here for that. So a lot of good things happening. God is doing amazing things down in uh, North Texas uh, with MPI. Let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29. I'm going to expound on a word that I shared with everybody um, during our fel- farewell party. You guys remember being there for that? Okay, that was uh, January 2nd where you, where you guys sent Susie and I off uh, just wonderfully and we thank you so much for all the just the love and the hospitality and the, the just that that awesome uh, time that we had. And when I, I was given the mic to kind of share my heart, I, I shared from Jeremiah 29, and I, my word was this, it is increase and do not decrease. Amen? In, in a time where people are putting all of their life plans on hold because of the pandemic, you can't get married now. You can't you can't go back to school. You can't go back to work. You can't start a business. You can't start a church, right? All these people are putting their plans off. They're, they've become like the sluggard who said, there's a lion outside. We can't go outside. And, and so people have bought into lies that have made them slaves to fear so that they are putting all these plans on hold. They think, man, we can't get married. We can't start a family. We can't do any of these things. And... Um, and I, and I think I singled you out, Marco and Malia, right, to get married. Amen? And, I, and, and you're welcome. It looks like you took my advice to just go and put a ring on it, you know, to kind of wrestle with your fears. I know you wanted like a Cinderella-type wedding, Marco, but, um, you know, you just, just do it by faith, right? You guys, come on. What, what are you waiting for? No, I'm kidding. Half kid. Um, but... But people are putting that off. There, there is talk of there being like COVID kids, you know, kids during the, born during the early phases of the pandemic because you had nothing to do but Netflix and chill, you know. And it was found like nine months later, there were not, there were not more children being born. There were actually less because people are thinking, well, I don't want to raise kids in a world like this. I don't want to raise children in these uncertain times. And so... People are decreasing. Christians have been decreasing. Churches have been decreasing. Pastors have been decreasing. Are you listening? Churches closing. Pastors resigning from ministry because they are not ready to weather the conflict of these uncertain times, right? Uh, and, And so we're seeing many churches, many Christians decrease. That cannot be us. Amen? I was in a pastor's lunch, um, a few weeks ago with some pastors in the Frisco area, and one of them said, you know, I can't believe you're planting a church in the middle of a pandemic, implying that, well, this would be the worst possible time to start a church, and really, it's the best possible time to start a church. It's the, if not the best, the most needed time to start a church, amen? 
where people need the, the gospel more than ever. People need the hope of Jesus Christ more than ever. And so my word to you is going to come from Jeremiah 29. And, and you guys, you don't stop. You don't stop living life. You don't stop serving the Lord. You don't put the Great Commission on pause. Amen. That's what, that's what all of this is designed to do. All right. I'll, I'll just say it. The pandemic. The pandemic is designed partly. There's, there's a whole lot of things that they're trying to accomplish here. But one of the things they want to do is shut down the church, put the Great Commission on pause, stop making disciples, stop planning churches, stop doing evangelistic outreach. Notice how all of these things are being discouraged because of these lockdowns and all these different measures, right? And so, and so remember last year, man, spring, springtime, those first few months, man, we were locked down. MPI was locked down, but it was all in our minds because we trusted what we were being told, and we were be being told a bunch of lies, but we trusted what we were being told, and so we, of our own will as a church, complied with the lockdown measures. Okay, we'll have Zoom church, right? And you know, it was a year ago today I think it was a year ago today, Mother's Day. That was our first in-person service after seven weeks of lockdown. And during those seven weeks, we put evangelism on hold. We weren't going out like we used to. And, and really, it was hard to anyway because the streets were like a ghost town, right? But once we got free in our minds, once we got free in our minds, man, we started hitting the streets harder than ever. Praise God. We filled up this church and, you know, we, we kind of we had some trial and error. You know, we were social distancing. We, we, we moved the seats around and stuff like that. But once we got super free, because there's free and then there's super free. Once we got super free, it's like we're having church like it's 2019. We're having church like this, this baloney doesn't even exist. And I would have it no other way. I want the church of Jesus Christ to be the one place where I'm not being told to be a slave to fear. Or I'm not being told if I breathe the wrong way in the presence of somebody, someone's grandma's going to die. Are you listening? Or I'm not being told about cases and things like that. Or I'm being told to get the jab. Are you listening? I want this to be the one place on planet Earth where I'm not fed that propaganda. And rant. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's look at the first three verses for context. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile from Jerusalem. That is after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans have gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Pause. Let's just set this up here. I know you may be intimidated by all these long Bible names. But we're talking about the prophet Jeremiah, okay? His ministry lasted about 39 years. God called him in 625 uh, B.C., and his ministry concluded in 586 B.C. So that's almost 40 years. And for 40 years, he continually warned the people of Judah and Jerusalem that if you do not repent and become faithful to, to the covenant that God has given you, stop sinning, stop being immoral, stop being corrupt, Stop sacrificing your children. Stop worshiping idols. If you, you must repent of these things or Babylon will come and eat your lunch, to put it mildly. And when Babylon comes, that's not an accident. It wasn't that God, you know, he was the security guard and he fell asleep at the door and Babylon came through. God sent Babylon to judge his wicked people, to judge them. Jeremiah warned them for 39 years. He did not win a ton of converts in those 39 years, and he saw it happen. He saw the very thing he warned of happen. And, and you might imagine just in our own day, you know, somebody, a, a, a godly, prophetic-type person, right? And I think there are many 
who are saying these things, warning America, warning this nation, you need to repent. You are wicked. You are wicked. You think you're going to go back to normal, right? You think you could just bounce back the economy. You think you could just create more jobs and and finagle your way out of this. It's not going to happen. If God is against you, no one can be for you. And God could send China. God could send any of our enemies to wipe us out like that. And I think many for decades have been sounding that alarm. And God's people have been consistently ignoring it. And so that could happen in our own day. Just to kind of help you understand Jeremiah's ministry and his plight. And so one of the things that he had foretold was a 70-year period of exile, that once Babylon comes, they will destroy the walls of the city, they will destroy the temple, they're going to kill a lot of people along the way, and they're going to carry out the rest and deport them to live in Babylon and live in these foreign, strange lands. And, and, and you've got to think in, in the mind of these people, this is the city of David, right? This is the Holy Land, This is the land God promised to them, and they're being evicted. You're not worthy of this land. This the temple that was built by Solomon, destroyed. It was leveled. I mean, could you imagine something? I think this would have been probably more more traumatic than than even 9-11 in the Twin Towers or something like that. You know, something that you thought, man, because they, they attached this to God. God is with us because of this temple. This temple, as long as this temple stands, we're good with God. That's how they saw it. And now they're going to be in a strange land. And they have to learn that God is everywhere, not just in one place. And they have to learn that God doesn't dwell in temples built by human hands. God will teach them through this exile. But it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be pretty. There's going to be a lot of hardship and a lot of pain. And he's, he's talking to the first round of exiles, okay? So this letter is probably dated around 598 B.C., and we know that because in verse 2 it identifies King Jehoiachin and all of these other people who were deported. The first round of deportees were the best and brightest, the nobility of, um, of Jerusalem. In fact, right after all was said and done, the only people that were left were just the poor nobodies. Because they figured, well, they can't build. They can't really do anything. We'll just leave them here to their own devices. But they took the best and brightest. And by the way, spoiler alert, guess who was among them? Daniel and those three Hebrew boys. So this was a letter to them. And, and, and I believe this is a letter that Daniel probably read and took to heart himself. Because we read in Daniel, um, I think it's chapter 9, verse 2, how he remembered the words of the prophet Jeremiah all those years later. He was an old man nearing the end of that 70-year period, probably in his 80s, and he remembered the words, and it prompted him to uh, to fall on his knees and call on the Lord to, to bring this about, to bring this restoration about once the 70 years were over. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but but I do want to get to the core of the message here. The core of the message is is this. It gave instruction for the current generation that they might prepare the way for a future generation, okay? Those who would come out of the exile 70 years later. So many of the people who were receiving that letter probably would not live to see it, right? But they're preparing the way for the next generation. And this isn't like, well, we're going to just, we're just going to be, Uh, a Laodicean church in this generation, but the next generation will do right. That doesn't abdicate us from our responsibility. In fact, we have to prepare the way for them. We have to prepare the way for our children and our grandchildren because there are dark times ahead of us in this nation. There are dark times ahead of us in this world. And I'm just an observer, right? I'm 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 just comparing what's happening now to socialist uprisings in other countries. I'm comparing it. And in some ways, I can't even um, compare it entirely because we don't have all the technology they used to have to create for a surveillance state. Are you listening? 
So who knows? We, we, can, we cannot predict what's going to happen. We can't predict if there's going to be a United States of America on the other side of the trials and the troubles that are coming on this world. Now, Jesus could come back any minute, but he says, he says it is not for you to know the time that the Father has determined, but you will be my witnesses. Amen? You will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Yeah, Jesus could come back tomorrow and spare us from all this, but we are to play the long game. Do you understand? We are to plant seeds today that can be harvested by our children and grandchildren. Amen? 50, 60, 70 years from now. And the world has been playing the long game. The world has. I was reading a book a long time ago by Francis Schaeffer called A Christian Manifesto. And he documents how secular humanists were infiltrating education from the early 20th century. Just small, subtle concepts that they would introduce to the minds of American people, which at the time seemed benign, seemed like inconsequential. Yeah, we don't agree with this stuff. Yeah, it's dumb, but it's still like, you know, things seem to be going normal. And then all of a sudden, you have this generation of, of NPCs. You know what I mean? You got this generation of NPCs that are just completely brainwashed by public education. They were playing the long game. They knew, hey, we can't, we can't, we can't mold this country into our vision overnight. It's going to take time, and we have to change the hearts and minds of people, and it's going to take years, and it's going to take decades. And they infiltrated the halls of education. They infiltrated entertainment and all of these different things. Are you listening? And it has led to this. But it, this did not happen overnight. People did not turn into NPCs overnight. People did not be, become so susceptible to all this nonsense going on in our world to, to, just to buy the narrative overnight. It took years and decades of indoctrination. They had the long game in mind. Christians very rarely have that. But again, it is not for you to know the time or the hour when Jesus will return and restore the kingdom to Israel. It is your concern that you be filled with the Holy Spirit and that you preach the gospel to the whole world. You still have work to do. As I said a moment ago, you don't put the Great Commission on pause. There is still a job to be done. Now let's get into some points of application here. Points of application, verses 4 through 9. Let's read this together. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, To all those I carried into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage them. you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Let's get some points of application here. What, what was said to this generation of exiles, I think, applies to us in many ways right now in Chicago. The first thing is build and settle. Verse 5a, build and settle. What are we building? Build churches. Build businesses. Build wealth and assets. Amen? Things that will help you weather the storm. I'm not talking about being a doomsday prepper. Amen? But I'm talking about, again, that long game where you can set yourself up so you are not so beholden to Babylon that when Babylon turns on Christians, you're out of everything. Your corporate job is gone. They can freeze your bank accounts. You, you know what I'm saying? Listen, if, if they censored the most powerful man in the world, President Trump, what can they do to little old you and little old me if, if we get in their crosshairs? Did you? Uh, are you listening? There, there was, there's a brother... There's a brother who founded a social media platform. His name is Andrew Torba. He founded, it's called Gab. Now, you cannot get the Gab app. Why? Because the, it's banned from the app stores. Like, you guys remember Parler? 
Um, I prefer Gab to Parler. If you're it's just if you're wondering, yeah, I'm not saying get on it. I'm just using this as a, as an illustration here, because this is overtly Christian, not just like a conservative thing, right? This this is a brother who founded this. Well, he can't get on on the App Store, and then no servers. You know, Amazon, their servers host so many websites. You get in their crosshairs. You you cross them. They be they find out that you're a bigot. They find out that you're a homophobe. They find out that you're a white supremacist. They find out you're a domestic terrorist. All these things they will label you. Of course, you're none of those things, but they will label you. Anything they want to suppress, they will throw these labels upon. And so they could take your servers away just like he did. He had to go and find servers outside the country. And then he finds out, man, none of the banks can't get PayPal. You want to donate, you can't do PayPal. You can't do quick pay. You can't do any of these things. Christians are going to have to find ways. They're going to have to come together with other believers and find alternatives and find ways to build our wealth, to build our assets. Because look, it's all good. We're just printing money right now. We're printing money like it's going out of style. But listen, there's going to be a time when that party goes sour. You ever stay at a party too long? Like it's fun for a while, but, but some people, some of the wrong people start getting drunk and it starts getting rowdy, Okay. You're going to want to leave this party before long. You're going to want to take your Biden bucks. You're going to want to take your stimmy, and you're going to want to invest in something and, and get out of there, and, you know, because, hey, if they're going to give it out, you might as well take it. But, but what are you going to use it for? To build something, to, to have something for your family and for your church and, for, and to bless other people that this world cannot take away. Amen? So we build wealth. We build assets. We build churches. We build Bible schools. I heard of a brother. He left a major seminary, a Baptist seminary, okay? He left a Baptist seminary because they were compromised. They were compromised with critical theory. And he's going to start a new one in a strip mall, okay? So while, while his former seminary with its beautiful vast buildings and all this huge budgets, well, they slowly become part of the state church because they are beholden to Caesar's dollars. This brother's starting to... Ch- How many know a Bible school in a strip mall? Man, God, God will use that. Just like he'll use a church in a storefront. So that, that could be... Imagine if we have something akin in our generation to a Babylonian exile. What are you going to see on the other side of that? You know, I think like... I almost... Here's a bad comparison... Because we're not cockroaches, right? But, you know, they always say how cockroaches will be the thing that survives an, an atomic blast, right? But who's going to come out of the other side scurrying out of that atomic blast? Is it going to be the big bad ballers of the church? Is it going to be the big names? Or will they have uh, completely folded under the heat of persecution? Who's it going to be? Who's going to be the faithful ones? Who's going to be the remnant on the other side of a wave of persecution in this nation? Come on, and you see it. It's at your doorstep. You saw that, that Polish pastor in Canada. They arrested him like a, like a criminal in the streets, like he was a thug, like he was a drug dealer. And he was my hero. That just hit close to my heart because I saw those videos. He was kicking them out. He was, he was showing great boldness, kicking them out because they wanted to shut him down on Good Friday while they're having communion for public health violations. But, but we need to be building our churches here. We need to build churches by building disciples. That is how churches are built, folks. It's not all budgets. It's not nickels and noses and social media presence. Because like I said, all of these things can be taken from us. But at the end, what do you have? You have disciples. You have the Bible. You have the Holy Ghost. And that's all you need. Jesus said he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so we need to build churches, build businesses, build wealth and assets, build and settle. Settle like you're going to be here for a while. Settle like you're proud to be a Chicagoan. Settle like this is your city and you're not going to let the devil take it from you. Like you're not a retreating defeatist uh, 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 coward. Who, who's just kind of given over to this idea, well, the devil's going to win, the, the beast is going to come, I might as well just, I might as well stay home and play Xbox. Are you listening? We need to be building at this time. The second thing is to plant and eat. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Plant vineyards, drink the wine they produce. 
So, I, so what I'm saying here is enjoy God's blessings. Don't be bitter and despondent. Some people are so apocalyptic in their mindset to the, to, to the degree that they cannot enjoy God's blessings here and now. I enjoy God's blessings every single day of my life. I'm going to eat and drink as long as I can, praise God. I'm going to enjoy my family as long as I can, praise God. I'm going to enjoy God's things, and I'm not going to let the world take this from me. So in that former po point, we're talking about building churches that the state and the world cannot shut down, building wealth that the state cannot take away, building uh, and networking and all these things. But now we're enjoying God's blessing in such a way that the world can't take it away from us. They want you to be despondent. They want you to be fearful. They want you to be huddled up. They want you to think, woe is me. And listen, some folks can be mad at God, right? Bitter. Because if you're bitter about your, your circumstances in life, who is it ultimately aimed at? It's aimed at God. Because we, we praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? We, we praise God for the good things that come our way, and we praise God for the bad things that come our way. As Pastor Joe likes to say, everything that comes to us is father-filtered, and that can include persecution. That can include hard times in our Christian walk and in the world around us. And we're going to bless the name of the Lord and we're going to enjoy his blessing as much as we can. Even in Babylon, not taking that away. The third thing in verse 6 is marry and have sons and daughters. Number one, build and settle. Number two, plant and eat. Number three, marry and have sons and daughters. And that's why I said y'all got to get married. You got to have children. Don't let the world stop you and think this is not a good time for that. Ironically... Jeremiah was not able to follow his own advice. He was not able. God told him, God told him not to marry. But he nevertheless, he encouraged the rest of the people to marry, to have children, because Jeremiah was going to stay back in Jerusalem. He was going to stay back with all the poor folks in the wreckage. And he wouldn't live long past that, unfortunately. You know, it would, be a, it would be a sad end. Of course, he, get, he receives his crown, his reward from God, but he, he would, his life, his calling would not allow him to have a wife and children. It would just be no life worth living uh, for them. So spare him the pain, right? Spare him the pain of that. But, but this, is, this is the counsel he is giving broadly to all those exiles, to all those who will be living in Babylon. Don't be afraid to, to establish yourselves here. And it is a testimony that to this very day, Jewish people all over the world who are dispersed and, and all over, literally all over the world in continents and different countries, some of them are in places like Ethiopia and some are like uh, Russian and, and other places, and they maintain their Jewishness. They maintain their identity as Jewish people because of this reason, because they were encouraged, marry and have sons and daughters. And then as a faithful Jew, what do you do? You do what Deuteronomy 6 says. Teach them to the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, is one God. You are to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it goes on in that paragraph, and you can see it, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, about instructing your children in the ways of the Lord, talking about the law of God when you walk with your children, when you rise up and when you go to bed, and everything that you do, instilling the word of God into your children. And again, we see the pagans, we see the unbelievers do this uh, selectively. A lot of the leftists, they're not into having kids. They want to be dog moms and cat moms but they're very averse to actually having human children. But the Muslims, they do this. They have a more biblical mindset. See, they're, they're kind of stuck in the 7th century, which is bad in some ways, and it's good in some ways, because they believe in having a lot of kids. They believe that having children means more farmhands, right? It's more workers. It, it, it signifies more wealth, more people who not only carry on your name, but also carry on your values and people who can, who can support you when you're old. So having more kids, having a quiver full, right? We need to have that mindset. 
And we want these children and grandchildren to inherit a better world and to be the ones ready on the other side of exile to come back to the promised land. Come on. That when God restores us after judgment, and again, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if there'll be a USA. But when God restores us after judgment, when God has taught us the lesson that wokeness is whackness, right? That we as a society, we as a world cannot embrace this. We cannot embrace globalism in these things. When Jesus has conquered that enemy under his feet, there's still going to be Christians there. There's going to be Christians here in this part of the world. There'll be Christians in Africa, Latin America, China. There'll be Christians all over the world. There'll be our children and grandchildren. And so we need to impart to the next generation. The fourth thing is seek the prosperity of the city. Seek the prosperity of the city to which I have sent you. And I want to encourage you, be a light to your neighbors. Be a blessing. The blessing of the upright exalts a city. You want Chicago to prosper. As much as it frustrates you, as much as our leadership, Lori Lightfoot, Kim Fox, as much as they frustrate you, as much as they seem to be like that foolish woman in Proverbs who destroys her house with her own hands. Are you listening, Mayor Lightfoot? As much as they, as much as they do that, as much as, they're, as they reject us in places like Logan Square and become hostile and, and are overt with their blasphemy, we need to seek the welfare of this city. We want Chicago to be a shining city on a hill. We need to labor as though that were a real possibility. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to be a light to your neighbors. Okay? Uh, as I was, uh, we were doing the transition, I was led, and I hope you didn't mind, Lauren, that I came up here ahead of my prompting. But to share that word, thank you, to share that word, that God is going to baptize lukewarm and timid and fearful people in the Holy Ghost and make them on fire preachers. And there are Christians right now who are like that. And we need to be like those soldiers, like those Green Berets who are, who are talking to these privates fresh out of boot camp and to take them under our wing and help them and serve them. There are Christians that we may just want to cut off right now because we don't like their lukewarm ways and they actually turn and mock us. I've seen Christians actually say of the, the church in Canada where their pastors are getting arrested, they're getting fined out the yin-yang, all these things are happening and they're saying, well, they shouldn't be violating public health. That's not real persecution. They're just troublemakers. I have to have a heart of reconciliation toward people like that as much as they anger me, as much as they anger me. And people in our own city, Christians in our own city, as much as they anger me, I remember in the midst of, of the, the, the opposition that we faced last year, feeling abandoned, forsook by our brothers in this place. Though they abandon us, we cannot abandon them. Because they're going to need us. And so we need to seek the welfare of the city. We need, to, we need to really connect with people in our community, and we need to see people get saved who are lost. Among those who will be baptized with the Spirit are people who are lost right now. But they ain't going to be lost forever. They won't be lost for long. God's going to save them, and God's going to use you to save them. And to bring them into your home. To bring them to your dinner table. A dinner table is, is such a powerful thing. So many kids don't see it. A family is such a powerful thing. So many kids don't see it. Are you listening? And so we need to seek the welfare of the city to, be the, to continue to be the salt and light. I know it's different in Chicago from where I'm at in Frisco. Listen, Frisco is a boom town, and there's mega churches on every corner, and everywhere you go, you meet a pastor or a church planner or somebody like that. It's really different. But I want to be there to make sure Frisco is Frisco. I want Frisco to be free, amen? I want Frisco to be a sanctuary city of, for the unborn. I want Frisco to be stalwart when, when the rest of this nation is falling apart and becoming like California, California. I want, I want Frisco to stay free, amen? And, and so you have to labor like that. You may feel like, man, there's so, Chicago's so different, there's so much against it, but you have to labor for that. As much as it depends on you, even if it's just your block, even if it's just you or five or six of your neighbors on your, on your block, Joshua, man, that, that, will be, that will be so powerful. 
Because that block will be better. That block by Schubert School will be better, safer, more joyful than other blocks in this city. So we need to seek the prosperity of our city. And lastly, avoid the false prophets, verses 8 and 9. Do not listen to those who give false hope. There's some interesting wording here that I, I think I glossed over before. But I just noticed here in verse 8, do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Come on. There are people with itching ears. Will you come scratch my itching ears, preacher? Will you come and tell me everything's going to be okay? Will you come and tell me how beautiful I am? Will you come and tell me that there will not be judgment and we will get back to normal? We will build back better. Will you tell me these things, preacher? Will you give me a sermon series on leadership while the world is falling apart? You know what I'm saying? Will you give me a a sermon series on the Enneagram or some nonsense that that these pimpin' pastors are still saying, it just blows my mind, you know, 2020, 2021, that there are still pastors having sermon series on just nonsense, on irrelevant subjects, right? They are being the opposite of prophets. See, the prophet speaks the word of the Lord to the current climate, to the current setting, and they're just with their fingers in their ears pretending that it's not happening. Not, you know, there's an elephant in the room, it's called, it's called BLM. Are you listening? It's called social justice. It's called Marxism. It's called pandemic. It's looking them in the eye, and you're just looking the other way and saying, let me tell you how to find your third gear as a Christian. Right? Still trying to act like everything's okay. Let's have a church sideshow attraction. Let's have our Easter extravaganzas. Let's pretend all this is going to be fine. And that's, and that's personally, I, I see that a lot in Texas. Like, come on, Texas, you better get right before you get left. You're not far behind. You are not far behind these other places that have, that have become more uh, um, decrepit and degenerate. You're not far behind California as if you be complacent. It's the time to rise up. It's the time to be bold. Don't listen to them. Don't give them your ear. And rebuke them. Praise God. Here's our conclusion. Verses 10 to 15. Lauren, would you like to do the keys? Okay. Verses 10 to 15, and this is what brings us to our emotional climax. And you can tell because of the the piano playing softly in the background. You know we're going somewhere with this, but I want us to get it in with the Lord, and you're going to see why in a moment because that's what the text says. My paraphrase, get it in with the Lord, right? In other words, God says when you seek me, you'll find me, but let's just read it. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Speaking to that generation, when that 70 years are completed for Babylon, God says, I will, I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now, of course, there's a first and primary application to that generation. So when we read the verse that follows, verse 11, which all of you probably know, Jeremiah 29, 11, when you get there, you know it's not about you just living your, your best life now. It's not about you just getting over your little hang-ups 
and being a slightly better version of yourself. We know it's not what so many preachers have made it to be, right? And so many of us have made it to be because it's all about me, 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 I, I, I. This wasn't written to you. This was written to a generation of exiles. And I posted this last week. I didn't get a lot of likes, but I thought it was really profound. Jeremiah 29, 11, when understood in context, God is saying, I have plans for your generation. It's, it's, it's not, it, when he says, I have plans for you, it's you all. It's y'all. It's a group of people. It's that generation that's coming out of exile. I have a plan for you. He has a plan for the next generation, but guess what? He also has a plan for this generation. I have a plan for you. You were born for such a time as this. God knew that they would go into exile. God knew that they would witness horrifying things as their city was destroyed, as people were slaughtered and carried out of that city. And it would be absolutely crushing to see that. Could you imagine such a thing? Imagine, again, if that was the United States, China comes pulls our card collects their debt and I've, I've heard many prophets you know talk about visions even Joe has mentioned this seeing Chinese soldiers on our, on our shores we've never since the civil war had war on our land and we think it could never happen to us but the day that happens that, that will be un, unimaginable. I can't even find the words. We have no point of reference for that. We've never lived in those kind of conditions. So he's talking to people who've seen that, who've seen all their hopes dashed away, and he says, I still have a future and a hope for you. I'm going to use you. My plan was, never, was not to use you in Jerusalem. It was to use you in Babylon. It was not for you to rule in Jerusalem. That might have been for King David. That might have been for others in the past. But right here, right now, I have plans for you in Babylon. And your plans matter. Your plans are part of my plan. Your generation is part of my plan. Don't think because you're not, you know, in a time of, you know, great um, prosperity. You know, and we are. But like I said, things can change. Things can change, and things have changed. Don't think because you're not in a time of prosperity and, and success, or, 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 or you're in a time where you're seeing the bad guys on top. You're seeing Babylon on top. There are people, they died in Babylon. They died estranged from their homeland. They died well, the temple was still destroyed, and they thought about it every single day, longing for the day of his good promise to be fulfilled. Don't think if you live in that day that you're not part of God's plan or that God just forgot you. You're a part of his plan. He has plans for your generation, and he has plans for future generations. And he wants you to know that he is with you. Don't think if you live in a time of persecution in Babylon that God is not with you. He's more with you than ever. Is God not with the Christians in China? Is God not with the Christians in Nigeria? Is God not with the Christians in Pakistan? He is with them. And He hears every prayer of theirs. Some are waiting to be answered because the prayer is, Lord, how long, O Lord, till you avenge us? But He hears their prayers nonetheless. He receives every prayer as precious as incense. Revelations 8 tells us. He receives it like incense that's pleasing before Him. They are pleasing before Him. They are not forgotten by Him. And whatever, however our lives turn out, whatever comes, whatever, whatever may fall upon us, God has not forgotten us. It doesn't mean God has forgotten us. Did God forget Jesus on the cross? I, I know some preachers... and. And I don't want to get technical right now while we're in altar time. But, but when Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Some people want to say that God forgot Jesus on the cross because he bore our sins. But he's quoting a psalm. He's quoting a psalm as a faithful Jew. Psalm 22, and that's the opening line of that psalm. And he's, the way he said it is he's like singing it. Like how you might sing the first note of amazing grace. He's singing it. He is the faithful and obedient servant of the Lord. He is God's one and only son whom he loves. Jesus suffered. Did that make him any less of a son? And God did not abandon him to the grave. And God did not allow his body to see decay. And so if you suffer, does that make you less of a son? No. In some ways it proves your sonship. God is with you. When you seek him, he will be found by you. Right? When you pray, he will listen. I'd like us all to stand and come to this altar here. He says, rereading verse 12 and 13, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I want us to take the remainder of our time in this chapel to seek the Lord, to seek His face, to seek His will for our lives. You may want to stand. You may want to fall on your face and pray. However it comes, I really want you to get it in with the Lord. Seek His heart. Seek His strength. Seek His will. Ask Him for His Spirit. God, You are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. wants you to know he will give you his grace when you need it most he will give you his grace when you need it most you may walk away from here and feel a few goosebumps and feel like well that was nice but the Lord will give you the grace when you need it most just like how Corey Ten Boom you know the sister who hid the Jews during the Holocaust She hid the Jews. She ended up in a concentration camp herself. She survived. Her father died. Her sister died. She remembers before any of that stuff happened that her father would send her to the store and say, get some milk for us. And she she would say, "Well, well, Dad, where's the money? He says, I'll give you the money when it's time to go to the store. Don't worry about it. And I'll give you the amount you need to buy it. Don't worry about it. Because she's worried as a child. Well, Dad, am I just going to go ask for milk? For free? They don't give milk for free. You you see the analogy there. When you need it, when you need the courage, shovel, when you need the courage, he will give it to you. When you need the words to speak, his spirit will give you the words to speak. When you need wisdom, he will give you wisdom. When you're looking for encouragement, when you're looking for a sign that you're not alone, He will send other believers to remind you of God's good promises. We look to You, Lord. Give us grace. Give us Your grace in our time of need. And Lord, we need You now. We can't live a day without You, Lord. We come to your throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy in our time of need. We approach you, Lord.
I want to ask my sister Cielo to close us out in prayer. Lord, we, we give you thanks, Jesus, for this word, Father. I pray that we will apply it to our lives, Jesus. I pray that we will take seriously the times that are coming, Lord, that we will not have a tumbling identity, Lord, but our identity will be founded in you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we know who we are, Jesus, that we will share, Lord, how we got there, and it was only through you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we'll be ambassadors for you, Lord, that we will go out to every corner, Lord, of this city, Jesus, preaching the word, preaching the gospel, the good news, Jesus. Lord, have your way in our lives, Jesus. We give you our all, Lord Jesus. We surrender to you, Lord. Father, continue to lead us, Jesus, during these times, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.